Thanks so much for joining us today. Chris and I are really excited because we have a guest that we've been listening to, reading reports from for quite a long time. I'm pleased to welcome James Cook. James is the head of retail research for JLL and hosts the podcast, Where We Buy. James, we're pretty excited to have you. How are you doing today? Hey, hello, Anne and Chris. I'm happy to be here. I am an OmniTalk fan. So it's kind of like, whatever, I don't know, when the DC and Marvel characters get together <laughs> in one comic book. I think this is awesome. I'm really looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Yeah, Love that that's analogy. A, that's great. I know. That's Which perfect. side are you? Oh, <laughs> DC. I'm pretty dark. Are you? All right. Got oh, yeah, it. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, well, I'm probably more juvenile, so yeah, we'll go. We'll that go, makes sense. We'll go the other side on the Marvel side, so that makes sense. Yeah, perfect, perfect. Well, James, we really wanted to have you on the show today because so much of our work has intersected with the work that you are researching at JLL, uh, just around what's happening with the with retail real estate, re- the retail industry in general, and so we wanted to have you on the show to kind of give us an update on where you're seeing things head um, as we kind of have a few months in with COVID and then our understanding how things are kind of changing from our side and the retail research side. And, um, and then what you're seeing in terms of how, how uh, the real estate side of it is really evolving and changing as a result. Um, and recently we, we came across a report where you identify some of the, the kind of key themes that you're, you've been seeing recently. Um, one of those being that, you know, the obvious mass merchant traffic, grocery retail is, has increased significantly because of COVID. But can you give us a little bit more around some of the trends that you're seeing there or if there's particular players that you're seeing really um, see results from this or, or what's been going on in your perspective? Yeah, I mean, we watch um, shopper traffic really closely. We work with a vendor that provides us with um, uh, anonymized mobile phone data. So you can really see where the traffic is going. And we look at like macro and you can zoom in and look at particular stores. So at first, uh, way, way back when, you know, the lockdown first happened, we saw a huge spike in um, grocery stores, you know, yeah. people just going to stock up. I know I was doing it. And, that, and since then that has tapered off. Okay. And for a while, what the trend was is it was maybe 15, 10 to 15% below normal. But every time people went, they were spending more money. So they were going less, but spending more. And this is specifically at grocery stores. And then also, um, and then also like uh, superstores like your Targets and, and Walmarts and stuff like that. Now the trend is kind of back to normal. If you look at the okay. numbers now for those kinds of stores, for grocery stores, um, uh, traffic is about the same as it was a year ago. That doesn't mean life isn't back to normal. That doesn't mean life's back to normal, but that specific sector. Now, when you look at uh, super stores like discount, um, you know, like the Targets and Walmarts, traffic there might be down mm, up to 10%. But again, people are still spending the same or more. They're just going less. Uh, and then when you look at shopping centers, that's where the real drop-offs are. Like if you look at enclosed malls, mm-hmm. um, significantly 
less traffic. Um, it seems like people, uh, a lot of people are just avoiding them either for economic reasons where the mall is a place where you're going to go to spend mm. when you got some extra money or for health reasons because it's enclosed. Um, traffic hasn't dropped off nearly as much in open air centers. And part of that is because people feel safer uh, in mm -hmm. open air centers. But part of it too is that open air centers tend to have those daily needs tenants that are still more popular right now. And then the craziest one that nobody saw coming hmm. uh, is home improvement. Uh, and uh, shoot, I want to say at one point it was a good 20%. Foot traffic was 20% higher than it was the year before over the summer. It's still the highest increase year over year of all of the kind of store types. Um, it's tapered off a little bit, but um, for whatever reason, nobody went on vacation and everybody decided to do fix-its um, and little projects around the house, around the house, me myself included. Mm -hmm. So let me put that back. So just so I make sure I caught it all too. So, so home improvement, you're seeing big traffic increases there, still seeing spending increases from what you're able to tell in terms of the amount they're spending per basket as they're making a trip. Mass Walmart's targets the world, same type of story. Grocery, we were seeing that, but now it's started to level off. Question for you, are we still seeing the basket increases even though the traffic has been leveling off to, to grocery stores? Where's, where's that currently sitting from your estimation? So as far as we can tell, and I don't have as much insight into that, I don't have a, um, a vendor that I look at for data, so it's more anecdotal. Sure. Um, but what we're hearing from tenants in the shopping centers that we manage is, um, basket um, sizes are higher yeah. than they were before. It's just less frequent. We think so. And the reason I was asking that too, is because I think there, there's an interesting dichotomy there, dichotomy there too, when you start talking about, as you did the indoor shopping centers, where we haven't seen people come back there. It's interesting that traffic patterns are consistent with last year in grocery, but yet something is still keeping people out of enclosed shopping centers, even though grocery stores are technically enclosed. And is it, do you think that's more, the discretionary impact? Do you think it's a fear of COVID? Do you think it's both? I'm curious, like how do you weight that, whether it's anecdotally or just even based on your experience or, or what information you do have that you can share with us? Yeah, I mean, it's a two-pronged uh, two attack. Uh, mm -hmm. The one prong is the recessionary mindset. We saw this in the last recession um, when people, you know, there's people who um, are making less money or lost their job, obviously they're going to spend less money on, especially the kinds of things you get at the mall, which are often discretionary spend. Um, and then um, for folks who still have their job, I mean, it's just, you know, when everybody else around you is spending less, you spend less. There's that, there's the safety component. They just feel safer in open air. I have to go to grocery, but I'm going to go a little bit less now. Um, Oh, and then the third component, uh, which is a real knock to the malls, is back to school was really modified this year. Right. Um, Especially a lot the apparel of, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as apparel, which what are what is the biggest percentage of tenants at an enclosed mall, department stores, and apparel? Um, we did a a um, back to school consumer survey. Oddly, back to school spending overall was higher this year because people bought. Uh, computers and tablets for their kids mm -hmm. who are remote learning. Right. All the electronics, right. 
James, I'm, I want to, you said something there that um, I want to ask and dive a little bit deeper into of, of the, mo of most of the enclosed malls, we're talking about department stores and apparel stores for the most part, as you're kind of looking at the landscape, you at JLL are looking at who potential tenants might be. You're kind of help, or if you're, if you, someone was listening to this podcast and they're like, who, who do I go after? Who are those kind of star tenants that we think can survive COVID, um, can, can keep foot traffic up? Can, you know, if I'm, if I do have a mall and some of those apparel brands are not doing it so hot and I'm looking to bring in other services or other elements into my mall store. Who are the types of people that you're, or, or I should say types of, of retailers that you think are, are set up to kind of succeed or, or last and weather the storm? Yeah, there's this long overdue reimagining of the mall. I mean, yeah. 100%. And you guys, I'm sure, have been thinking about this for years. You guys are out of Minneapolis, right? That's like the home right. of the mall. Yeah, uh, started it all. Yeah. yeah. First indoor um, shopping mall. Yeah. So, um, so, so many things that can happen with the mall. Less of a reliance on a department store anchor, obviously. It's not the end of a department store. We just don't, we have so many of them. And the internet, to a certain extent, online retail has taken over the need for some of the things that department store did. Um, a lot of consumers now prefer the smaller boutiques and, and such to get your shoes, your apparel, the kinds of things that you'd get at a department store. Um, so that, that component, we need fewer of those department store anchors. Um, and so the question is, what do you do with that space? A lot of different uses. Um, we were looking at a lot of it, food and entertainment that's all mm -hmm. on kind of temporary hold because of COVID. Right. My take is that that comes back with a vengeance in a year or two. I mean, COVID is not a 10 year deal. COVID is a year or two, right? So after that's taken care of, um, I'm gonna be going out to eat like in yeah. every sit down restaurant in town. And I think everybody else is too. Um, so I think there's an opportunity there. And I we do see, you know, I'm seeing people de still developing food halls right now. But you'd think this is a crazy time to do it. But by the time you get it together and set up, um, you know, it's either going to be this summer or next summer that it's going to come back. Um, so there's some real opportunity there. Um, entertainment, food. So those are those are good. Um, obviously, the a lot of talk about can we do industrial uses in in retail logistically there's a lot of issues with that um there's zoning so a lot of people who live next to a mall don't want that mall to have any kind of 18 wheelers coming in and out or delivery vans or you know excess of you know any non-retail uses um the municipalities don't like it as much because you get less taxes you don't you lose those sales taxes um and then the buildings themselves aren't really configured the only thing they're really configured for as is would be like, um, you know, small scale last mile fulfillment, like doing the kinds of things that, you know, Best Buy is now doing from their store and other retailers are doing kind of that last file last mile fulfillment and click and collect. Um, so, I mean, other uses that I'm excited about um, are kind of kind of harken back to like that old Southdale model of, you know, put a grocery store in there. Barber shop, 
butcher, uh, a lot more uh, hardware store, like kind of the daily needs things. Um, right. And turned it into a place that people are going to come to a couple times a week instead of once a month. The jobs to be done kind of mindset in terms mm-hmm. of what we, we can all do. Is that is that possible to do in your mind, given just you know, generally speaking, how big a mall is and how much real estate you're talking about and, you know, the kind of the conveniences or inconveniences that come with that, say, relative to, you know, I think of like where a Home Depot is, like you just mentioned, Home Improvement or, you know, or a Target or a Walmart or anything and, you know, kind of the strip center. Like, is it is that is that possible to do that? Or like, you know, what's it going to take or how many or even how many places uh, across the country can that even happen across the mall real estate? expanse yeah i mean it's not just from a consumer's yeah standpoint it doesn't make sense for like your you're not gonna go to the mall of america to get a steak or something like that but we have right. these these smaller like these smaller regional malls that we have a lot of them across the right. u.s and a lot of them are still hanging on but they're kind of struggling and a lot of them are going to be losing their department stores over the next year year or two mm-hmm. And those are the kind of places that people do stop in to pick up stuff because usually parking's easy and it's small enough that nothing's that far from one of the main entrances. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the kind of places, especially if you can configure it where you've got both an outdoor and indoor entrance to the mall, um, hmm. where I think it does make sense. I was just at, um, I was just at a very a small regional small market mall the other day that had um, uh, an Alta in it. And the whole time people are just coming and going, picking up stuff at the Alta. So, I mean, it's definitely doable. James, I'm curious, I, I kind of want to push a little bit on the mall part of it. And yes, there's the, the zoning complexities, but do you think that that's something that as municipalities kind of evolve as the the real footprints of maybe these more industrial spaces or the click and collect setups like you're talking about, do you think that there's a possibility that in the over the course of time that, you know, the definitions of retail use could be altered by these municipalities in order to accommodate those malls as serving, you know, maybe like as a, a warehouse pickup store or, or something to that effect? Yeah, I think that's a great point. Like what is a store? It's kind of changing into this place where you might order online and go pick up there. Um, I, what I don't think a lot of cities are going to do is say, hey, this spot that used to be retail, now we're going to put a big old, you know, million square foot or 500,000 square foot warehouse distribution center. I don't right. think that's going to happen. You're not going to have 20 semis lined up on the yes. back side of it, right? That's yeah. kind of the visual that we're thinking about here. Yeah, but if it's a thing, if it's something where, you know, um, it's kind of small scale, it's click and collect, you're doing kind of local deliveries, I could, I could see that happening, yeah. Is that something you're kind of more, I don't, I don't say in favor of, because that's probably not the right word, but are you more pro that type of approach? I mean, I've had, I mean, there's been a, quite a few people on social media that think the idea of even like micro warehousing or those types of fulfillment style operations that you're describing are just the worst thing that could ever happen to a mall and would drive the property values of the malls down in about, you know, nanoseconds if they were attempted. Where do you come down on that? Do, do you agree with that side or are you more, I mean, it's sounding like you're more like, yeah, that's something that actually should be explored. I mean, it's all about highest and best use. I mean, if that 
little mall, especially I think about like kind of small regional malls that Mm -hmm. are just kind of Mm -hmm. sitting there Mm -hmm. underused or unused. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'd rather see activity there. That's going to increase the value, whatever the highest and best use is. Like if it was like a vibrant retail center that people were coming and going to all day and there were a few vacancies, then yeah, of course it would be dumb to do another use. But I mean, if it's, if it's lying fallow, let's, let's put it to use. I mean, that's the whole point of real estate, right? Yeah, absolutely. A nice drop of the word fallow, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's an Omni talk first. First, very impressed. That was Ding. great. Yes. I got well, let's do this then. So that's the department stores, right? But I think the other story inside this COVID enigma is, is the specialty side, right? And so there's all the small boxes inside the malls. Like, like what, what, what happens there? And, what, and, and where do you see that going? that can't all be turned into fulfillment either. And there's only so many restaurants you can put into a place. So like, what, what, what do you, what do you foresee happening on that side of the landscape? So overall we need less of that kind of retail space. Okay. Um, we have too much, um, enclosed retail square footage in the U S we're overbuilt. Um, and some of those, I think just over the, the next few years, we're going to see a lot of that shake out. Um, and what's left, so if you're an inline tenant, um, some of these tenants are in real trouble and are going to go away. Um, some of them are saying, we don't want to be in an enclosed mall anymore. We want to be in an outdoor center. Mm-hmm. So they're mm-hmm. shifting to that. Um, and then there's the others that do just fine uh, in enclosed malls, and those remain. Um and I do think there's new, there's new tenants that come in and fill up that space. And it can be, you know, we've got a whole lot of di- digital natives out there um, that are experimenting with more and more physical space. So that's an opportunity. Um, and then, I mean, a local, um, you know, locally owned retailers as well. I think there's an opportunity for them to open up space. But um, to your point, there's too, there's going to be too much vacant inline space, I think for all of the malls. But if you zoom in and just look at the class A, mm-hmm. like the mall that everybody goes to in your city, don't worry about them at all. They're just, they're fine. There'll be enough, there'll be enough kind of specialty retail to come in, whether it's new or yeah. old, they'll come in churn and just keep that thing moving. Yeah. There's always demand for those. I mean, those places, um, the, there's always a demand for space in, in malls like that. James, one thing that, you know, you point out as, you know, one of the kind of hypotheses that you have for the future of, of retail and where things are headed is less overall selling space. And I'm curious, you know, JL has many retail properties. What are you seeing some of your um, tenants doing in terms of reimagining kind of the, the selling floor space um, optimizing buildings for, you know, curbside pickup or drive-through pickup or those kinds of things. What kind of evolutions are you really seeing in, in the structures and inside the boxes themselves? Yeah. And it's really, a, I think a handful of retailers that have taken, taken the lead on carving out space for, for staging, for, um, you know, click and collect or buy online, pick up in store, um, grocery stores have really, um, like for example, Kroger here in the U S has really taken the lead, um, in putting together a program of, um, you know, buy online and then 
then, you know, you pull up, they've got a special area for you to go. They bring it out to you. Um, they've carved off space um, for those folks to stage. Um, Target's doing that. I think everybody, you know, like all the Target, Walmart, Kroger, um, Best Buy is also doing that. Um, there, a lot of these um, retailers leased relatively big boxes and have mm -hmm. long-term leases and are saying, yeah, you know, we don't, you know, there's a few thousand square feet here that we could do without as far as, as retail floor space. And we right. might be better off using this for staging or even ship from store um, for click and collect. Yeah. That's an interesting question too. And, and I never thought about that in terms of the dynamics here too, especially as you start talking to open air malls versus saying closed malls, like we were talking about before, like, one question Anna always had is it feels like there's a little bit of a leadership vacuum there too. Like in terms of, we know what all the capabilities are from an omni-channel perspective. You just listed them shipping from store, curbside pickup, concierge services, return servicing. And then you get into the discussion with the enclosed malls again, and it's a little bit of well, chicken and the egg. Who's going to start all that, right? Like how does the, is it the mall developers responsibility to pull everyone together to think like that? We've seen, you know, companies like Centennial try to take that approach. You know, or is it like you just said, the individual retailers just kind of picking themselves up by their own bootstraps and making it happen. Like, where do you see that? How do you see that playing out? Like who is, who is going to lead that discussion if anyone or that implementation, I should say. Yeah. It's funny. It, it kind of depends. A lot of the centers that we manage, we took the lead um, and we don't own malls. We just manage them for other owners, okay. um, but we've, we've taken the lead um, in setting up staging areas for click and collect okay partnering okay. with the retailers um to say okay you know you can send people to this certain area we're going to set aside this area for people to you know either order stuff from you on the phone and 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 so i guess my point here is that as a shopping center manager or owner you could do a certain amount okay. um but it's really in those cases where it's all existing, you can't really say we're going to tomorrow set up a big concierge service. And, you know, now every tenant's going to have to pay us an extra X thousands of dollars a month for this. Like there's a lot that sort of has to be a little bit more premeditated. Hmm. Um, so I can see that for, well, it's already happening in like the, the class A malls, you know, they have, um, kind of banded together and have, you know, sort of either concierge, especially in the luxury wings of, of, you know, like a Simon mall or something like that. There's, you can, there's a concierge luxury shopper that's subsidized by those, those luxury tenants, um, like a personal shopper mm -hmm. There's special, um, I forget their, what they're called. Like if you're a VIP shopper, you can go hang out in these fun areas and get, I don't know, drinks right. and stuff. Like your personal attache yes. or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> It doesn't make economic sense in a lot of malls. Right. Um, anyway, I guess my point is, is that for new developments, if you're developing with that in mind and you're structuring the leases with that in mind, um, then it's a lot easier to do. I think for existing centers, existing retailers, I think it's, it's the retailers who are probably taking more of the lead on a lot of that. I want to, I want to double click into that too, because I want to make sure I understand it. And is that, are you saying that's just because there's just so much there contractually in terms of how the obligations are laid out across all the parties? Like what it, it sounds like a big kind of ball of rubber bands that has to be almost unwound to some degree to make this happen. Like, is, is that what it is or is, is there more to it than, than even that? So, um, 
I think the biggest hurdle, and there are certain restrictions and leases that have to be overcome, but I think the biggest hurdle is around the money. Like it just costs money to to set this stuff up. Yeah. And that really has to be integrated in the leases. And right now it's pretty much impossible to go back and get more money out of existing leases. If anything, people are negotiating rents downward right now. And you got to do that one by one by one by one. Yeah. Gotcha. So it's it's a lot easier if you have a new development and you're just starting from scratch. Totally. James, what about retail rents are you seeing in the research that you've been doing lately? How are how are landlords getting creative? Um, we know that there's all kinds of things that um, that are coming into play here um, in terms of like the the lease and the contract that was put in place. But have you seen um, some or or in the management of the properties? Have you seen more of a willingness to kind of work through, especially as you're bringing in more local retailers to fill? some of those vacant spaces um, in the enclosed malls like you talked about? Are you seeing more flexibility in the lease structures for those? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that you can get a better deal now uh, because, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, owners are eager to fill space. Yeah. What's weird is it really depends on what kind of retail we're talking about. If it's a kind of space that's got a drive-through and makes good sense for for like a fast food, like a QSR or, or something yeah. like that, you're not getting a deal um, yeah. because those are over demand right now than they were a year ago. Um, but if it we're talking about like a high street um, retail space, like in the city, uh, Michigan Avenue in Chicago or Fifth Avenue or Soho in New York, for example, um, there's so few people in the city right now, no tourists really. Uh, you know, there. I think there's an opportunity if you wanted a lease space there, you could get a great deal. We're seeing so many fewer leases executed in those places, though, that I don't really have a visibility into what rents are going to be because the mm-hmm. asking rents, the face rents that landlords advertise, really haven't come down yet. Mm-hmm. Um, really. And so we haven't had a negotiation for the market to figure out really what the new rents are going to be. Um, also, a lot of the vacancies that have been announced, those closures that have been announced, they haven't hit the market yeah. yet. Like they're still in the process of working all those out. So vacancies up um, this year, but it's not um, high, it's not high enough yet to account for all those closures that are coming. Yeah. Got it. Still with and, a ton of unknowns and variability too, in terms of what's going to play out. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, and James, as you're kind of looking f- toward the future of, of where the industry is going as we're, we're headed into hopefully uh, the end uh, in sight of COVID, what is really exciting you or what are clients um, that you're working with? What are, what are they asking you for? What, what gets you most excited about where retail and, and real estate kind of intersect over the course of the next mm-hmm. few months? Wow. Well, I think it's funny. I think clients that I talk to have very similar questions to what you, you've you been asking me, Anne, like um, they, you know, you'd think they'd be the experts because they're living it every day, but they all have such just a narrow, their little narrow view of the world. And they're, they're often kind of lacking that, that big picture. I mean, I think a lot of clients are very curious about when the city comes back. I guess I mentioned that before is that mm-hmm. 
where the struggle is right now is urban retail because the office workers aren't there, the tourists aren't there, um, both domestic and international, the tourists aren't there. And the question is, when does the city make a comeback? Um, and I've been saying, every time people have been saying, well, you know, it's for the death of the city, everybody's moving to the suburbs. I'm like, yeah. that's insane. Yeah. It's good to hear somebody say that. We totally agree. Cities are the creative and economic engine of our, not our, just our country, but our world, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, it's just people aren't there because it's not safe. As soon as it's safe enough, everybody's going to go back. And rents are going to be lower. So the young kids are going to flock to the cheap rents. (laughs) And rents are going to go back up again. And the cycle starts all over. Yeah, yeah, that right. makes sense. There's, there's a reason cities were cool. Those don't, that doesn't <laughs> just go away because of a virus. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, live it, doesn't I live in the country because it's quiet. <laughs> because it's cool. And I go to the city for all my culture. To be cool. To pretend to be cool. Uh, at least that's what I do. Um, <laughs> I, I, on that note, like, I'm curious. If you had to say like, predictions-wise, I mean, we're going into holiday. I'm curious, like what are, what's something listeners should bank on from your position of expertise for the holidays? And then maybe, you know, what's something for 2021 that you'd say, Hey, get ready for this. And maybe it was that last thing in terms of the cities are going to come back, but you know, what, what would, what would your answers be to that holiday and then to 2021? So holiday is going to be the biggest question mark. Uh, I think the biggest questionable holiday, not questionable, but just unknown that I think I've Mm -hmm. ever seen Uh, and I've been doing this for over 20 years now. Um, And we ran a holiday, we ran a consumer survey of over a thousand consumers and they reported, self-reported mind you, that they're gonna be on average spending about 20% less on holiday spending, which is a huge drop. So usually we'll see 2%, 3%, 4%, 5% increases year over year. And they're saying at 20% less. Uh, I have not seen any forecasts that negative. Um, most of the mm-hmm. forecasts I see are about like the 1% plus or minus, maybe 3%. Um, my bet is that it's not going to be that bad. Um, it may not even be negative. The big switch is going to be that everybody's going to be doing it online. I mean, not all of it, but a lot more of it than they've ever done before. We've seen such a huge shift to online shopping. I mean, the vast, the vast majority of shopping is still in store, but more the penetration of online is higher than ever because of COVID. So as COVID leaves, I think some of that leaves. We'll mm-hmm. probably go to a new plateau. What that is, I don't know. Maybe it's eventually 20% of all of retail is, is online. Right. But then again, online doesn't mean anything anymore because half the time I buy something online and then go pick it up at a store. So you have to have a store there. Right. Um, so that's, you know, the holidays are a big question mark. And then for next year, I'm excited about um, the spring and summer of next year. Um, I do feel like a vaccine is rolled out at that point. Um, and I do think that we kind of do return to some amount of normalcy. Um, I was doing some reading about the Spanish flu, uh, 1918 Sta- Spanish mm. flu. And I was like, wait a minute, 1918, what came right after that? 
it was 1920. It was the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties, yeah, great I point. I mean, yeah. we're all going to be bootlegging flappers <laughs> and having an awesome time. And maybe I, I'm exaggerating a little, but my point is that there's a lot of pent-up demand for having fun. And that's a good thing if you're in the food and entertainment business. That's a good thing if you have theaters. Can you hold, you just have to hold on through this, this kind of dark period. Yeah, it's like Red Butler said in God with the Wind, there's a lot of money to be made in the crack up. You just have to have the fortitude to invest in the fact that that's going to happen. You know, yeah. I, you have me picturing Michael Jackson, like going through stores on a spending spree. Like if you've ever seen those videos, that's what, that's what next summer is going to look like for all of America. <laughs> I want this. I want that. I want that. That'll be great. So that this is a tangent, but that that video, it was from a documentary years ago of Michael Jackson shopping and buying crazy atrocious guard like, yeah, like in Vegas yes. or something. Yeah, you yeah. see it. Yeah. Just pointing so at things. Yeah. It was at the Venetian shops in Vegas. Yeah. And one of the shops, I don't know if they're still doing it, but like two years ago when I was there last, one of the shops he shopped at, they had a video on a loop <laughs> right. of him shopping. So you would know, oh, this is the place where Michael Jackson binge, binge purchased all this weird stuff for Neverland Ranch. <laughs> the taxidermy tiger or whatever. Yeah. Taxidermy. Like yeah. yeah. I don't even know the right, right uh, word to use there, but yeah, no, that's great. That video is classic. Yeah, so that's basically what's going to happen. We're all going to be like that in, in like six or seven months. And until then, it's, I think the other key point that you, that you brought out there, it sounded like was how much online volume can we get through that? Or how much store volume can we get through the online funnel, mm -hmm. so to speak, here over the next three months? I think that's still a big question, especially when, when traffic metering is in place in the stores too. I mean, you have to remember the denominator of the base for LY is so much bigger but yet you've still got traffic metering in place. So that's going to be, it's going to be fascinating to see how that plays out. Well, and to James's earlier that's point too, I think you have, you have people spending more though when they are going into those physical spaces too. So I think that yeah, the, they're the, taking the the, risk. it's not apples to apples quite, quite True. exactly anymore, but. And stimulus well, and all that stuff too. Yes. Yes. Well, James, um, Thank you for joining us for this conversation. If people want to stay on top of the reports that you're working on, the research that you're doing, and if they want to listen to the Where We Buy a podcast, where can they find you? All right. So a couple of plugs here. Uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, just search for Where We Buy and hit subscribe. And uh, conversations like this every week, but with um, people who are smarter than me. Um, and uh, on jll.com, if you click on insights, you can download our latest retail reports. And then if you are in the commercial real estate industry, um, we just launched a new podcast called Building Places. And that's just about the future of the built environment. So we cover all kinds of cool topics. Um, everything from, you know, how can construction be more sustainable to how can the real estate industry be more diverse? So all kinds of cool topics, but all forward thinking and, and interesting and fun. James Cook, the head of retail research for JLL. Thanks so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Awesome. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Chris. Bye.